0: Thanks to our sponsor, Nintex. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, would you take it? Because our friends over at Nintex want to give you a gift, the gift of time. Seriously, if you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you definitely should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently, a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products you know and trust, including Nintex workflow and forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to sprint it however you want. Test drive the Nintex process cloud at nintex.com. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 396. Today, AC and I are going to catch up on the news, recorded live February 11th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by AvPoint. If you like the cloud show, you will love the Shift Happens podcast with Microsoft MVP and regional director Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation projects. He uncovers the players, organisational hurdles and last-minute surprises that inevitably arise when ambitious people try to impact their workplace. Season one features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines and other industry leaders. Go to www.avpoint.com forward slash blog forward slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, hashtag shift happens wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. Back to the show. Is there something in the air? Do you do you smell that? Do you taste that it in the air? No. Uh, <laughs> dang it. Still not.
1: <laughs> no, no, still dealing with it. I am um, day 21 of like i bounce bounced between uh 0% taste and 20%. So it either doesn't work at all or i can taste like a little 20% bit. of like of my flavor palate and stuff. That's got
0: to be infuriating.
1: It, hey but it's you know it's it's better than always zero, right? Is it? Not really because like i'm actually trying to gain the weight back that i lost and so mm. i went back having dessert like every night and I'm eating healthy, but I still have a, like dessert every night, and so it's like, oh sweet, I'm gonna have ice cream. So it's good to have ice cream. And you can't taste them. Like, mm. it's not quite the same, I guess. Oh, you know, I can put like we have these little. We had gotten like these Ghirardelli chocolate chips for some recipe, so I sprinkle those on top. And if I put about four or five of those in my mouth and I melt them together, and then I breathe over them, I can taste them. Huh. So the problem is, like, I got to eat ice cream and chocolate. To taste anything, right. so it's not really the healthiest way of doing it. But I'm really in that I don't give up mm, kind of attitude. Ta-t- test so. your taste buds
0: to do mm-hmm. their thing again. Isn't that interesting? It's like a starting a cold engine
1: and it's coming back coughing and spluttering. It's a little unsettling because the research I've done, uh, and I could be completely off. I mean, you know, I just have my uh, my medical degree from Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna? <laughs> You got a PhD <laughs> in pseudoscience. Gotcha. I do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk about vaccines later, but I have. Uh, <laughs> My daughter <laughs> sorry. is raving in the background here. Yeah, she did. <laughs> so the research I've done shows that it's not so much about taste buds or your sense, your olfactory sense, it's neurological. That's a little ah. freaky because so one of the things that someone told me was. If you have essential oils, get essential oils, sniff those that are really strong. And that smell is very distinctive. So like we have orange and peppermint and a couple of ones that just, it's a very strong smell. And so if I stick like the little bottle up to my nose and inhale it, my head's telling me, I know this should smell like orange. Yeah. And so when I smell it, it's kind of like, it reminds it. Well, I've noticed when I do that at night, the next morning, I can kind of taste a little bit better. Interesting. So it's like trying to rebuild the neural pathways, yeah. which... I don't know. That's one of the things that scared me about this this damn virus is that it's the unknown from it, but then when the research started to come out that it was more like a blood disease and it was also it was affecting neurological... It just kind of scares me, so... Yeah, no joke. Well, hopefully you can reboot your... I don't know what you
0: call it. The ability to taste and uh, get back on track shortly.
1: I'm hoping. Tell you what, man. Super Bowl food wasn't nearly as good. Not quite <laughs> as exciting. Yeah, I bet. I bet. No, it sure. It felt great, though. <laughs> <laughs> this food feels fantastic. Yeah, it not have that's quite the, the same the ring line to it. At, it sounds a bit dirty, actually. That's the line at dinner. You know, my wife will sit there and she's like, so what did I think about dinner? And someone's like, oh, I loved it. Someone's like, oh, it was pretty good. And she looks at me and she's like, what would you think? And I'm like, "Ah, oh, it felt great. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, hey, really quick. Yeah. I know we've got a tight timeline here, but what was your favorite? What were your favorite two or three commercials from the oh. Super Bowl? I didn't even really
0: pay attention to the commercials this year. Not really. (gasps) I laughed at a couple. What was the one that I laughed at? Nah, it's not coming to me. Oh, I thought the, the, the electric car Norway one was quite good. Not that I think it will happen, but I thought the ad was good. That, hey, Norway, we're coming for you. Or something like that. Electric cars. Was it GM or Ford? I can't remember. GM?
1: That was GM, yeah. This year, to me, it was very much like the right after September 11th. The Super Bowl after September 11th. Because the commercials had a much more like somber slash heartfelt kind of thing to them. They were more serious. Yeah. And I thought they were really good. I absolutely love the one that the Jeep, that, uh, Jeep did with the little church, the middle of the country in Kansas, mm. talking about like, really was kind of talking about more like healing. Coming together. Unifying, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that the one that Fiverr did was... That was my second. That was my favorite one. I thought that that was absolutely hilarious when they did the, the thing with the making a parody off Trump's press conference that he did it that at the landscaping company. <laughs> I didn't see it. I didn't see the oh, ad. Oh my god! I'll you have to look up the ad. You got to go look. They completely redid their business and said it's now the Four Seasons Landscaping Company. They put a new sign up and said "Impress Junkets" or, or like "Impress uh, <laughs> Impress Venue." It
0: Brilliant! Was,
1: oh, it was fantastic. But Brilliant. the one that I thought. I thought the one that was like super effective that a couple people like were like, this is ridiculous. There was one that it was a guy sitting in a field of oats, and it was just about a vegan milk that's made from oats. Oh yeah. And I thought the it was, oat milk guy. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic because yes, it was expensive to run that ad. He's speaking to a very specific audience, yeah. but the commercial did not cost much to put on. It's just a dude sitting in a with a keyboard with so, a, was it like, a carton of milk.
0: No milk or no no cows, no cows. I, it was yeah, no moon? And I can't remember what it was. I, Oatly, I thought. I mean, no, no, he was saying something.
1: He was like, "No oh, cows yeah. or no beef or no milk, something like that." But you know exactly what he's selling. You know exactly what it looks like, and it was just so off the wall that you you're going to remember it. And if that was worth whatever he ended up paying for it, yeah, I thought it was a pretty good pretty good move. So, totally. actually, one of the highlights for me was
0: tracking the aircraft that took. Part in the flyover. Oh, you could do that. Yeah. Well, some of them had their transponders on, and some didn't. I was looking up on FlightAware where they were all going, and they were going out over the Gulf of Mexico, and they had refueling tankers. There were two refueling tankers up in the air over, with, with them, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Apparently, the coordination between the, getting those pla- getting the three bombers right there was the there was the B one the Lance the two was that B two. Yeah, the B one is the Lancer. The B one right? is the Lancer. B2 yeah. is the stealth bomber, is that right? And then yep. and then the um, was it the, the 52, 52? yeah, that's right. They all came from different states apparently and all hooked up and and the timing and coordination was quite interesting. I was talking to somebody on Facebook about how they get it just perfect. And I said, they either time the flyover to be at the end of the anthem or they time the end of the anthem to be at the, end
1: of the, at the flyover? So I can give you a little bit of insight into this because my dad used to run marketing for one of the NFL teams for 10 years. And he would give me a heads up on what was going on and what they were going to do and how everything is planned. And they do have a very specific time that the anthem goes in on and they coordinate it with the mm-hmm. Air Force. Mm-hmm. And so the Air Force has a staging area, which is whichever branch it is, They have a staging area. It just happens to be right near my house. So, like, when we've had a B two fly over um, the Jacksonville Stadium, like, if I'm not going to the game, like, I know to go outside and go look for it because it's going to be up there in the area. But yeah, they time like they time. They have to be at a specific spot. Yeah, like ten miles out when they're coming in, they make a beeline coming in for it. And if they're a little early or a little late, they can slow down a little bit or to kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they can time it a little bit, but they almost can nail it within about ten seconds of where they're supposed to. be.
0: Yeah, I saw the somebody was saying that they have a their flight computer can tell them whether when they want to be over the time on target, whether they're ahead mm-hmm. of it or behind it, and they can adjust the speed to to compensate and things like that. That sounds it sounds incredible. Anyway, the coordination was amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was tracking them on uh, flight flightaware. They got Those cool. Over they got already. cool call signs too, like Huey fourteen or like. JoJo 90 or something like that. Like it's, they're not normal call signs. They're not like November whiskey 139, right? It's like, yeah. it's cool stuff like Batman 42, something
1: like that. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Cool. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it was cool. I, when they flew over, I looked at my daughter and she's like, oh, did you see this? I was like, cool. I said, did you see there was a beat? There was a, a self plane, a self bomber. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I didn't see it. She's like, what? It was like right in the middle. And I'm like, I didn't see it. It was invisible. She's like, what are you? Oh, dad. Great dad joke. Ah, too funny. So sneaky. Can't even see them. Hey, I got a little bit of banter for you too, really fast. Sure. Did you, there's an article that was on CNN just yesterday, and it was a good feature on an upcoming legal battle that is going to be waged between someone who has decided to put their foot or their flag in the ground. And to go after Apple and Google, but specifically going after Apple for antitrust and charging companies such exorbitantly high rates, especially for in-game apps and not letting them use in-game purchases and not letting them use alternative payment models. The whole article is the story about Epic Games, who's the, the company behind Fortnite and their battle with Apple. And in a nutshell... This company is uniquely positioned because unlike other companies that are not happy with Apple that do this, Epic is a privately owned company that is really run by just one person. And so they don't have to deal with a very large shareholder base management chain or shareholder base or anybody that they have to deal with this. Think about it, this company did like $1.2 billion in revenue on iOS last year just on their in app purchases. Apple takes 30% of that for really doing nothing. Well, I should that's not true. I mean, fulfillment, reviewing the apps and all that kind of stuff, but 30% is pretty freaking ridiculous for them. So I've been following this a little bit. I hadn't read this one, but I'd heard that he was
0: suing some time back, actually, about you know, Apple had removed Fortnite from the iOS store for a while or something. I don't know if it's still gone, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I'm glad somebody's falling on their sword to try this because it is kind of, I do find it pretty reprehensible taking 30% cut for for something like this. It doesn't feel quite right. They need a cut of some description because they've created the ecosystem, they've, they've shipped all these phones, they've built all the features that users want that make them want this, then they get to put the games on. So I believe there's somewhere in there that where it where they are owed something, but I just don't know where. It seems like a very arbitrary number to me. I'm just not sure what the right number would be.
1: I agree. I, I do feel like they're, they're, they should get something, but should there be something different for like when you purchase an app versus when you do like in-app purchases Is there something about a law of like diminishing returns that there's a tiered kind of system that you get into? Yeah. It just, it seems ridiculous to me that a company that's doing $1 billion in revenue on a platform has to write a $300 million check to Apple just because every year. I mean, that just, something just doesn't smell right. I don't know what the fix is, but... It is interesting though, right? Because if I'd created something and somebody else
0: got value through using the thing that I'd created, I'd feel like I was owed something too. And so then I'm like, huh, okay, well, how much? Which is like, well, if you think they're owed something, then surely it's up to that person to set how much they
1: are owed, or you could go somewhere else, right? And that's the problem, that's right? That's the problem. So Because everybody charges 30%. Right. There is no competition, I guess. Well, I guess you could do it on the uh, Microsoft uh, mobile platform.
0: <coughs> oh, Snap. <laughs> you went there. Brutal. I did.
1: Yeah. I did.
0: My me-tile is still better than your me-tile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's interesting. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. It'd be a good read by the looks of it. Mm-hmm. I hope something happens here because I do think it it is kind of absurd. I'm just not sure what the right solution is. I'm not either. I'm not either. Hey, how about we dive into some news? This episode is sponsored by Sharegate. You probably didn't get into cloud engineering to spend hours manually sifting through layers of data or manually creating reports to understand and explain your Azure costs. Neither did the IT pros at ShareGate which is why they built Sharegate Overcast. Sharegate Overcast is an Azure cost intelligence tool that reduces manual monitoring and helps you make cost-efficient engineering decisions, and it can help you lower your Azure bill. Sharegate Overcast scans your Azure environment daily and analyzes your cost data. It automatically identifies cost issues and gives you the insights you need to fix problems fast. Plus, with personalized cost-saving recommendations, you can be sure you're only paying for the resources you need. Best of all, you can get Sharegate Overcast for free. Find out more at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show. This podcast is brought to you by Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun application performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high quality code. Check it out at Raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. And we're back. Okay, see, it's mostly Microsoft news this week. We've got some other bits and pieces that we'll hit hit on uh, towards the end here. But do you want to lead us
1: off with some fantastic news? I think you could say. So we've known this is coming. We knew, because this was announced back in August of 2020, it's a a message center alert for Microsoft. The title is Microsoft Edge Legacy Support to End on March the 9th, 2021. So we knew that this was going to happen. This was announced in August of 2020, that the desktop support for uh, Ledge or Legacy Edge was going to die on March the 9th, and it's going to be replaced, or it already has been replaced. With credge, Chromium Edge, so credge replaces Ledge. <laughs> What's new to this whole thing is that They'll knock your credge off the ledge. Yeah, oh, they, well, they, that's what we need to have happen. That is true. Yes, we do actually. What's new with this message center alert is that Microsoft is actually going to force this on people with a Windows 10 update. So, to what they say is quote to replace this out of support application. <laughs> I love that to replace this out of support application <laughs> to kill Ledge. We are announcing the new Microsoft Edge will be available as part of an upcoming Windows 10 cumulative monthly security update and when you apply this update to your devices the new Credge will be installed and the out of support ledge will be removed. Now, I'm using the word ledge and credge so I don't have to say the yeah. Microsoft Edge legacy but this is I think this might be the first time I've seen Windows 10 actually Windows 10 update delete something from your machine. Huh, good point. I wouldn't have the b****** to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, is it
0: technically part of Windows? It's a feature of Windows, so they can remove it out of Windows? Did we go through this with an antitrust lawsuit with the government like years ago? Yeah, it's decades ago. Oh, so it doesn't matter. That was the 90s. They've forgotten. They've got bigger targets like Google now. Oh. Yeah. Nobody I'm only really joking. I mean, yeah, they, they do have bigger targets. Well, not bigger. They do have other targets now. But yeah, I don't know. That's curious. Mm. I guess they're, it's just
1: a new version of the same thing. It's still called Edge. Maybe that's
0: why they called it Edge.
1: But the fact that it's being distributed, the fact that, I mean, Microsoft got in trouble because the browser was being tied to Windows. And I guess it wasn't just tied to Windows, but they were using it as part of like telling... Providers that you had to have IE install. I don't know. That's that's not the subject of this message center. That whole thing was litigated, and we're gonna we could go through and try and relitigate old news. But yeah, the big news here is that in the next cumulative update for Windows 10, they will remove Ledge and install Credge if you don't already have it. Ta da! Death to the old browser. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. What you got for us? In other news.
0: Teams is doing something around analytics or intelligence in meetings. There was a Microsoft MVP, another VESA, by the looks of it, uh, who tweeted recently about a new Teams Pro plan that uh, he noticed in a message center post. It's not clear if this is going to be a paid add-on or if it's going to be free, but the plan will will include insight capabilities about your meetings So, I'm not entirely sure what they mean by that, but things like, you know, when you're in a meeting, finding information, and as easily as if you had your own assistant to support you. It might be something coming out of Microsoft Research. Anyway, the Message Center post gave it away. It's funny how sometimes engineering gets ahead of marketing like this, and uh, stuff goes out in the Message Center before Microsoft's (laughs) bothered to talk about
1: it publicly. It happens quite often, eh? Have you noticed that? actually the exact inverse happened with an announcement that i'm going to give you in just a minute. Oh right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um anyway,
0: so there's this new Teams pro plan that you might notice start popping up in mid-March apparently. We're not nobody's really sure what it includes and why it's there and whether it'll be paid or free or what the deal is, but nonetheless. So now we've got my analytics, workplace analytics, and now we might have some other analytics kind of insights thing. In teams, hmm. I guess we'll see what it is, what it comes out. Interesting. Hmm.
1: I've got two things that are, I guess you could call them SharePointy. One of them is definitely SharePointy. The other one is a little SharePointy. One is an announcement from the PMP group. They are announcing this, the general availability of this thing called the PMP framework. And if you're familiar with what used to be called like Sites Core and what Microsoft had, like, The PMP. I'm not entirely clear with this because I don't work. I don't use this part of PMP, or one of this distribution from PMP, which I just don't do anything with .Net these days. But the idea here is that the PMP framework is built on top of .Net Standard 2.0 slash .Net 5.0, and it has a dependency on the PMP core. Uh, cross-platform build as well. So it's just, they've released this. It's, a, it's supposed to be a simpler way to be able to do cross-platform stuff or .NET cross-platform stuff in your applications. The other thing that I wanted to mention that was sharepoint D that actually came out today, which was kind of funny because I heard about this on a preview call that I thought was an NDA call last week. And then... I saw a blog post about, or I saw somebody from Microsoft Marketing tweet this out on Tuesday morning or or Monday evening, something like that of this week. And then, but it wasn't ready to go through and to be announced yet. So then Microsoft had to turn around and marketing had, it seems like they had to come around. They had to publish an announcement for it today. And that is that finally, finally, we can actually assign permissions to not just all site collections in a tenant, but to a specific or to a group of site collections in a tenant. I'm gonna let you guys read the blog post. Mm. It doesn't tell you some stuff in the blog post. For example, this only applies to application permissions right now. It does not apply to delegate permissions right now. And furthermore, and this is just a little weird. And I don't, I'm gonna claim a little bit of ignorance here that I may be speaking about something, I may be, I may not know enough about this to say. To have be a fair assumption on this, but what's interesting is that you have to create an Azure AD app and give it permissions to be able to then assign this new permission to an app, so that you can have that second app get assigned permissions, application permissions to one or more site collections. So it feels very much like a yo dog. You need an app to give permissions to. So we're going to put an app. We're going to create an app, so that you have to go create that app. And you have to give that app permissions to be able to give other apps permissions. And it's like, this just feels cumbersome. And I know, I don't really understand exactly why they had to do this or why SharePoint is special. This is, think about this kind of like as step one to share... always a little bit special. Well, I know. Think of this as like kind of step one to, to SharePoint saying, we want to implement RSC, like what Teams has, um, resource-specific consent. We want to implement that in SharePoint, but we're not going to call it RSC. We're going to call it something else, and we're going to do it a different way, which just in general, that just kind of, that gets under my skin because I'm just, I, it's like when you do something differently than how everybody else does it or how somebody else has already defined how they're doing something, I get irritated at first. My first reaction is, why do you think you're special? Like, is there something really special here that makes you unique that you have to do it this way? So you, yeah, just looking at the docs here, it's kind of interesting.
0: There's these new APIs like get site permission, list site permissions, create site permissions, update site permissions, and delete site permissions. You require sites.fullcontrol.all to use these APIs. So you need an app. You need to create an app that's granted sites.fullcontrol.all in order to create the permissions
1: for another application like you said. Yeah, and the other permission is sites.selected, which is the permission that allows that app to be able to specify which site collections get, can, the permission is going to apply to.
0: Yeah, so you have to say, I want to create a new site permission. So you're using your Uber app, the one that's been granted full control, you can then grant permissions to another app for specific sites. So I want to create site permissions with roles right, for example, to a particular site and for that particular site and a particular app ID. So then using that second app ID, like my Foo app is the example I give in the docs, you can then call those sites using the selected permission scope and get those, those permissions. Interesting. They've created a second level of permissioning that's not part of the scope system in the normal auth flow. So instead of like site URI, Slash you know, write permissions or whatever. some custom scope. They've created roles, and so you have to get the selected site permission, and then the roles kick in, whether you get access to a site or not. It's like two layers of two
1: layers of access. That seems messy. That's the thing for me. So that's my first reaction to it. When I listen to it, explain, like if you if you go to the bottom of the the blog post that I referenced, there's a link to a video. Where Jeremy Kelly from Microsoft, who I think owns this feature, he talked about it in a Microsoft Graph community call that came out last week or that, that happened last week. That's the call that I thought was a private like discussion on this. And then apparently it was a community thing. So it wasn't really private. But he explains it and he explains kind of why it's different than RSC. I kind of got to raise my hand and kind of and be like, a, I still don't get it. I don't understand why we had to go, why we have to go through this, why I have to jump through this hoop. And oh yeah, by the way. I know that you say you're gonna do delegated, but is it gonna be even more different than this? I don't mm. I don't know. I don't know. So we'll see. I'm glad we can now do it. I just um I just feel weird about the way it's done. Yeah. It makes me feel weird and uncomfortable. I mean you're gonna need these two apps, right? And you're gonna need one with lots of permissions in order
0: mm-hmm. to grant less permissions to a different app. So I'm guessing a customer would like have some sort of, I don't know, special app that would be used to grant permissions to particular sites. Or maybe they just haven't built the UI for this yet or something. I don't know.
1: They say they're going to build a UI for it. And yeah, we'll see. So Interesting. Well, I mean, yeah. it, so what'd you, what'd it's you better get? than just oh, having
0: sites full control all, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah. I've got another one. Hey, do you have enough task lists in your life? If not, no. Microsoft is launching a new bulletins and milestone app. So two different apps, bulletins and milestones for teams. So the bulletins app... You'll be able to go, I think it's they're going to open source it or something like that. Oh, no, it's built, yeah. I think it's built on Power Platform. And so it's not really like first-party applications, so to speak. It's kind of like a 1.5 to two-party application built with Power Platform. Bulletins is about getting news into Teams by the looks of it, publishing some sort of news or something like bulletins, announcements, things like that. And milestones looks like another task list from what I can see. Keeping the status and updates of work items. AKA task lists. <laughs> they're very careful not to talk about tasks in this blog, in this in this article. But yeah, it looks like tasks. Anyway, I think this is they're sort of like template type apps, I think, that that are being put out. They're not first-party apps. I think they're just sort of templates that you can start from if you want to do this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Anyway, so if you don't have enough task lists in your life, then you can go get the Milestones app and create another one.
1: Or for the people who like to have everything in Teams, then I guess there's your... Now you can get your tasks in there. But But wasn't that
0: Planner had an app already for Teams? Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm not sure what the Uh, difference between this and Planner is other than a showcase of what's possible on Power Platform. I don't know. Maybe that's it. yeah.
1: All right. Uh, So that's the Microsoft 365 news. What else do you got for us? I've got a bit of, well, we call it other, which is kind of like our grab bag of stuff. (laughs) We haven't talked about Docker in a long time, and Docker made some news this week. because, (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) Um, Poor Docker. Docker has, was, they say they're happy to announce that they have contributed the Docker distribution to the CNCF, which is the Cloud, cloud Native. Native Computing Foundation. Uh-huh. Basically saying they're donated it to open source. Well, they donate to the foundation that does a bunch of stuff that's really around cloud computing, which is most of the stuff that they do is around like container slash orchestration stuff like Kubernetes and everything. Those of you who aren't familiar with what the Docker distribution is, it's the core part of, of what's like Docker Hub. It's the main open-source code base that's the basis for the container registry that we call Docker Hub and a lot of other container registries as well. So that's been donated to CNCF. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I've got a slightly more exciting one. Oh, sweet.
0: (laughs) It's entitled Connecting Azure to the International Space Station with Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. So, you know, we talked a while back about the Azure space stuff that's available, which is basically, if you've got a payload, you can... Or a satellite buzzing around Earth, you can use some Azure infrastructure to connect to it. So apparently they're doing a thing like a collaboration or partnership with HPE, where they are, HPE is launching a thing called the Spaceborne Computer 2, or SBC2, which will deliver edge computing and artificial intelligence together for the first time on ISS – I'll just dumb this down a little bit. I think they're launching a little rack of computers and going to stick it on ISS. That's cool. And then obviously using some Azure infrastructure to connect it into Azure and all that sort of stuff. And apparently you can submit projects to run on this thing via HP. Obviously you can talk about your organization and submit your proposal to spaceborne at hpe.com with some information about what you're looking to do and they'll take a look at it and see if you can run it on there. Hmm. I'm not sure why you would notice any difference of your stuff running on a computer in space versus a computer on prem.
1: I mean, on Earth. There's a bug you like to track down. Works on my machine. Yeah, yeah but we're in microgravity.
0: Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Technically, isn't it aging faster because they're going quicker? They're going faster, uh, closer to the speed of light. So aren't they aging a bit faster up there? Isn't be. time like faster up there, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe you'll notice, I don't know, some computing errors or something. Newton will be proved correct with re- theory of relativity or something.
1: Mm. Anywho, yeah, I just thought that was kind of cool because it was it was talking about space. I have been trying to track somebody down from Microsoft to come talk to us about Azure Space to help us understand it a little bit more. I know somebody. I'm not saying that you do. Yeah.
0: Oh my God, I've been coming up blank. Yeah, I know somebody who's... uh related to it. So I'm trying to hook us up with an interview for it
1: to talk more about Interesting. it. Interesting. Mm. That would be cool. That would be pretty nice. Okay. Do you remember a guy named Steven Sanofsky? <laughs> I, very well. <laughs> <Yes>. very <laughs> it was well. more of a joke.
0: I've run into him a few times.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't been at Microsoft for Steve- a while, though. Yeah, not a long time. He So Steven Sanofsky ran the Windows division the Windows development effort at Microsoft. Prior to that, he was an Office guy. I believe he was there when the ribbon was added I think so. uh, to Office. Yeah. I'll never forget, I was in a meeting with him. I think I probably have told the story before. I was in a meeting with, well, not a meeting with him. That sounds a little bit more exclusive. I was in a auditorium where he was presenting with somebody else from the office group that was that worked for him, and they were showing off the ribbon, and they were showing off the little menu that was context menu that was popping up with all the formatting stuff. And I'll, I'll never forget, he did not like the, the reaction he got from this. But the guy right clicked on some text, and like the little thing was supposed to pop up. And at the time, they were co- they were calling that thing the mini bar, hmm. and because it was a very early like like super early build. When you right-clicked on it, it like took forever for it to open. And the guy next to me goes, Jesus, man, it looks like it's as expensive as the mini bar in my hotel room. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sanofsky did not like that. Anyway, cool thing about Sanofsky. So, he's, Sanofsky is uh, well-known for, uh, he was the guy that, was, that ran Windows when they got rid of the start menu, and they went with a whole tiled interface for the start menu that is now no longer there. He is writing his memoirs. He's wants to he's publishing his memoirs online using a popular platform online, using Substack. Culture. Gotcha. He's a,
0: an interesting character. Like he's loved and loved and hated, depending on who you talk to, for things mm-hmm. that have happened, like the ribbon and and like removal of the start menu is commonly a you know, huge faux pas that was on his watch. Mm-hmm. But also he's also loved in some respects because the work he's done in Office previously, but also things like in Windows. So after the Vista debacle, he was mm. largely responsible for resuscitating the Windows franchise with Windows 7 and the huge success that it saw, right? And then he went and killed the patient on the table again and <laughs> removed the start bar and gave us tiles. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't knock him for trying that. Microsoft was in a tough position with, uh, with the iPad coming mm-hmm. out and needed sort of, you know, mobile computing stuff. So it doesn't surprise me that they tried some kind of crazy things. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading this because he is a very verbose person. I'll just let you, like, people <laughs> listening up front, listening to this, like, it's not going to be a short read. Anything Sanofsky writes is not a short read, right? It's mm-hmm. He's not terse and uh, he's um, he can be quite verbose, so... Prepare for a lengthy read, is all I'm going to say. Mm. But great, apparently great stories. I'm in this old-timers Microsoft group on Facebook. It's this private group, and he's in there, and he was talking about some stories. And the stuff these guys share between them, like, you know, back in, you know, 98, or sorry, 89, when I had the, you know, the assembly bug with such and such a chip, and you're like, oh, my God, we've come such a long way. (laughs) (laughs) They're talking about debugging chips and, and assembly instructions that work differently on different chips and all this sort of stuff and you're know, just like far out man <laughs> I don't you know I think I've got problems yeah exactly <laughs> whoo it's kind of interesting
1: oh no yeah. fun no yeah. fun yeah hey Did you got anything else how about we move on to some picks sounds good to me AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC, what do you got for us this week? Anything exciting with PIX? Yes, I love this. And I know I'm also dreading saying um, sharing this because I know some of my friends who know that .NET, Uh, zealots, .NET, bigots, whatever you want to say, who think that every other platform sucks. So when I tell them, like, I'm using, I'm a Node person, I like TypeScript and JavaScript more than I like .NET these days, and they're like, yeah, but NPM and blah, 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 blah. JavaScript sucks and blah, blah, blah. These are the people that are going to come out of the woodwork because, hey, I'm giving them some ammo. A security researcher was able to hack over 35 tech firms, including Microsoft, Apple, PayPal, Shopify, Netflix, Yelp, Tesla, and Uber, among many others. Just thought we'd throw a bunch of those names out. And he did it through a supply chain attack, remember that? That was the whole SolarWinds thing. Now, how did he do it? Well, he happened to have seen, uh, he was working with another researcher, and a guy had shared the manifest file from a node project, which is the package.json file, for a project he was working on or or investigating. And it happened to be a project from PayPal. And PayPal had some references to some internal NPM packages that were only available through their internal registry. And so this researcher was like, hmm, I get an idea. Maybe I could create a public version of that and take over all all the things. (laughs) That's exactly what he did. So he went through and he created public versions of those packages for anybody else that had that project. That's sneaky. And so when they had gone through and they had downloaded, instead of the instead of NPM failing to find the package and download and install it, mm. it was instead grabbing the public one, which the ones he created were just like, they were like placebos. They didn't do anything. Mm. But what he was able to do was to show that by doing that, he could find out who was installing these different packages by doing DNS lookups and then actually go in and then found when companies would go found out what projects were using these different packages. And then he could have gone in and made a change to it and to the package. And when the company went in and updated those projects, it would have gotten the update, which could have done something that was compromised. Yeah. Anyway, the cool, the thing that I thought was interesting about it was just part, is pretty simple attack. But the thing that was really cool about it is that this dude made $130,000 on bug bounties from this, including 40 grand, the top payment that Microsoft makes. Microsoft was like going, hey, look, we're giving you the top top honors for this, even though they said eh, this is really more of a design flaw with package managers than it is really a bug here. But thanks for fine. letting us know. Yeah. Yeah. Did they so, dispute the charges on PayPal when they paid them? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. So this guy made 130 grand from this for something that was pretty obvious. If I mean, I wondered about this, but I. I never thought to do what this guy did. I'm kind of ticked off now because that's a cool 130 grand. But mm. I've wondered about this, you know, in different scenarios. Like how, you know, what would what would be the impact if someone just kind of created their own name and of a private package that was actually being distributed? We I found actually I found recently in the SharePoint framework that there were some internal packages that were being released hmm. in the SharePoint framework that were not supposed to be there. And we notified Microsoft of it. And they're like, oh yeah, that's not supposed to be making it out in the public stuff. We got to pull those things out. And it's it's similar to this. It wasn't you weren't able to hijack it they, because they had a different scope and you had you had to own their scope and we didn't. Microsoft has a scope of at Microsoft. This has a scope of at would, the internal stuff was at MS. Gotcha. Uh, so that was the difference. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. This has cool. always
0: made me wonder because of um like NuGet's no different, right? You get if you hijack somebody's package on NuGet, you can get your software into all sorts of other people that take dependencies on your package, so yeah. it shouldn't be the .NET weenies throwing it at the
1: Node weenies. Oh, they totally will, and be the same I mean, thing when you point to them. And, yeah, when you point to them and say, "Hey, look, this is just a like a characteristic of package managers." They're gonna be like, "Oh no, but debt will never have this problem. MS Build will never have this problem." It's uh, like, yeah, you can. Yes, it can. So definitely. Anyway, cool article. Yeah, that's really interesting. How about you? What you got for us?
0: Uh, yeah, wrapping things up. Researchers have built a retractable lightsaber that whoa. cuts through steel like butter. Should have said whoa, whoa. instead of, whoa. Yeah, so anywho, there's a cool video about a dude who has built kind of what looks like a lightsaber. It's pretty awesome. It can be colored and all that sort of stuff. 4,000 degree plasma proto lightsaber. Yeah, and it's built with, it uses gas, like some sort of, I uh, can't remember what gases they use, but anyway, It uses gas and superheats and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, you can turn it on and off and it looks like it retracts and expands like a lightsaber and all sorts. It's
1: really sweet, dude. (laughs) How heavy is it? This guy's got huge guns.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is pretty massive. And there's a backpack to go with it because you've got to carry a gas bottle around with you. So it's not exactly got the portability of a lightsaber, but Mm. they've made it look pretty awesome. It looks kind of cool. looks like a lightsaber and things like that. So... And he goes, he shows cutting through like sheets of metal with it and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, That is pretty cool. You can see in a couple of shots, he's, you know, waving it around, but he's being pretty careful because if <laughs> it touches anything, it's not
1: supposed to. Goodbye. <laughs> 4,000 degree plasma. Bro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, this one will go straight through you. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. He's cutting through, yeah, sheets of steel and things like that. So anyway, lightsabers are now a thing. Like as if COVID wasn't the wasn't the worst we had to worry about. Now we're going to have people running around with lightsabers. Sweet.
1: I'd like to give it to a bunch of politicians and you kind of like see what they do with <laughs> Let it because them go um, for it. have fun with this, guys. Wow. I'll give you. Hey, you get. I'll give you bottles of whiskey and a four thousand degree laser <laughs> cutter. Let's see how this works out. You want tax cuts? I'll give you tax cuts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. There's a video for YouTube. Somebody could make. All right, AC. Well, glad to hear you're feeling better. Your taste is—I'm uh, sure everybody's going to be riveted to hear what happens in the next wee while. So, um, yeah, we will stay on track. I want to know when you can taste beer again. That will be the mark, you know, like after you're really sick, you fart for the first time, and you're like, "Oh!" <laughs> <laughs> but when you can, when you can fart with confidence, you know you've come right, right? The oh same thing God. will be
1: with beer and your
0: taste buds. <laughs>
1: Everybody, Everyone's like, well, I can't believe he went there. But every single person listening it goes, oh, I totally know I totally what he I
0: means. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> do I have confidence? Do I have confidence? Yeah. I don't know.
0: If there's always that time. Anyway, there's always that time when you get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> let's oh, just, back. Let's just stop right here. This is going to get bad. Anyway, <laughs> let us know when you can Ooh. taste with confidence. How about that?
1: <laughs> I will do that. All right, have a good one. And with that, CJ, good to catch up with you again. Likewise.
0: Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.